Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Will Nettleton, Pastor of Mission and Worship here at LMPC, and this is a Pillar and Ground Confession episode. In our confession episodes, we seek to understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith, and we are continuing on in the confession into chapter 12 today on adoption as uh, always in our newer formats. It's not as new as it used to be anymore, Brian. We're not, we now kind of like we got this down. We've been doing this for a little while, but in our new format, of course, I'm joined by Brian Salter, our lead pastor, as we look at this uh, next chapter, chapter 12 of the confession uh, on adoption. So, Brian, do you just want to read? Um, read for us or you want to give any kind of preamble yeah i'll read it and just note that this is the shortest chapter in the confession in terms of it just has one section and um and this is relatively unique to the confessions that we have the westminster confession of faith having a chapter on adoption is unique and its brevity is probably because there weren't a lot of controversies around it like justification had been through so much um post-reformation so but it's a rich chapter and i'll just read it for us all those who are justified god graciously guarantees to make partakers of the grace of adoption in and for his only son jesus christ by this act they are taken into the number of god's children and enjoy the liberties and privileges of that relationship they are given his name they receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and they are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Like a father, God has compassion on, protects, provides for, and chastens them. Yet they will never be cast off, but are sealed to the day of redemption and will inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Um, so by way of reminder, as we kind of go into this chapter, this section of the confession we are have moved into talking about salvation, so talking about Christ and the benefits that come with Him, and so um, that are really inseparable from uh, Christ and union with Christ. And so, Brian, you've got this great quote here uh, that I'll just lead with and kind of let you talk about. Uh, the savings, blessings, and grace that come from Jesus always come as a package. What does that mean, uh, and, and why is it helpful when we're studying this topic of adoption? Well, really, to understand the package is that union with Christ is the great umbrella doctrine, and all of these other th- their benefits of salvation, justification's a benefit, sanctification's a benefit, adoption's a benefit, but the umbrella is union with Christ. That when you get when you are in Christ, these are all the benefits, and so justification is legally right. You know, adoption's familiarly right sanctification is sacramentally right that what that means is holiness you know you begin to uh, be right with god and and to act right according to god's law Mm. not perfectly as we'll talk about in the next chapter but um so you know sometimes we take kind of justification and sanctification out as if that is that they aren't benefits of a broader package yep and i think that's really what that means that statement means Anchoring it in union with Christ is so helpful because there is no separating these out. Yes. This is not like you get Jesus and then on the side you get mm-hmm. these. Other, these benefits are all connected to Him. Yeah. Um, so it's adoption uh, in Him. So and, the, and those and those are not the only benefits. Those right. three we mentioned. I yeah. Mean, you get into glorification. You get yeah. into uh, reconciliation. I mean, you can keep going with the benefits. Um, 
they're, they're very numerous. Yeah, the shorter catechism has that great uh, the the benefits that flow from justification, yes. adoption, and yes. sanctification. That idea of peace with Christ and um, inner uh, all kinds of other ones commend those. Mm-hmm. I think it's question 37, 38, somewhere in the shorter catechism there that talk about not only Christ, not only his benefits, but the, the additional things that flow from them. Mm. Okay. So even as we start this conversation about adoption, one of the things you often hear people say is, and you know, you kind of hear it used in a, in a joking voice. Sometimes people will say something like about all God's children. Uh, by which they seem to mean all humanity. Yes. That, and so there's this sense that, you know, isn't, um, when we're talking about being adopted into God's family, I thought we were in his family. Are we not all children of God just by nature of being mm-hmm. human? Mm-hmm. How do you respond uh, to to that? I think it's really important to note that the idea that all are children of God is not found in the Bible. Hmm. Okay, so that's our authority source. We've already looked at the confession of faith starts with scripture how we know things is really important in our authority source. So that may be vernacular in our culture mm-hmm. or even in our, our in the church, but it's not actually biblical. Um, the gift of sonship becomes ours through being born. Yeah. Now, all are in the image of God. Right. And in that way, he does love the, the world. He does love all people as his creation. Mm. You can say that God loves all people. We don't mean by saying that that God loves all people salvifically mm. or as father, as we understand here. John 1, 12 through 13 helps us to see this uh, importance of new birth to being a child to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And I think about the hymn, even we sing children of the heavenly father, Mm. you know, children of the heavenly father safely in his bosom gather nestling birds, nor star in heaven. Such a refuge air was given. That's reserved Hmm. for those who have been made alive and born again in Jesus. And so, as Packer says, and I'll reference this a lot, uh, probably the best chapter in knowing God is chapter 19 Mm -hmm. on being a child of God and adoption. And Packer says, sonship to God then is a gift of grace. It's not a natural, but an adoptive sonship. And the New Testament explicitly pictures it. So when we say that those born again are exclusively children of God. That's not a statement of arrogance. It's a statement of grace. But I think it's important to clarify that yes. uh, distinction while also not removing all people are made in the image of God. Right. And we can say God loves them in that way as creation. Yes. Right. That's really, I mean, that John passage is really helpful. Gave the right to become children mm-hmm. of God, which would indicate you know, that you they weren't. were not. That's right. You became something that you were not previously. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked about adoption here is um, nested in with these other benefits uh, of Christ or is kind of located within what theologians call the ordo salutis, that Latin for order of salvation. Um, what makes this a distinct aspect mm-hmm. of that order of salvation? What makes the blessing of adoption distinct from, for instance, the blessing of justification yeah. and sanctification? And, and maybe just to add on, what makes it similar? Well, you know, adoption 
well, all of it, justification, sanctification, adoption, they're all really rooted in the love of God mm. and his work for us. But the beauty of adoption seems to be that it moves from the judge justifying yeah. to a father-loving relationship. And anytime you move from courtroom mm. to, to familial language, um, there really does begin to arise a a tenderness, um, mm. you know, I can have, I can have a judge call me justified, but that could still be a distant relationship. Mm. Maybe I never know the judge. Mm. I could be grateful for the judge's work, but the judge remains sort of at a distance. But when you start to get into adoption and familial language, that's father, mm. uh, your child. And that, that includes inheritance and chastisement and protection. We'll talk all about that, but I think Chad Van Dixhorn helpfully said, you know, the happiness we find in a family is different from that found in a courtroom or a doctor's surgery office, you know, of being put back together. There's nothing like being a child of God Mm. and enjoying the liberties and the privileges of being in his family. And I know I quoted it already, but I do love the hymn, Children of the Heavenly Father. Mm. Um, God, his own, doth tend and nourish in his holy courts they flourish. From all evil things he spares them in his mighty arms he bears them. That's the only line that sometimes I think, well, I don't know about it. he spares us from all evil things, but he does promise <laughs> yeah. that whatever evil visits his children will be unto their good and right. to the Father's glory. Um, but he, though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaketh. Mm. There's such a, a tenderness in the adoption understanding that I think does make it distinct from justification and sanctification, but they're similar in that they're rooted in the love of God and his gracious work. Yeah. You know, we've, I think we've used before the, the image of when you're looking at theology, theology of God, but theology of salvation, you really are kind of twisting the diamond, right? You're looking and you're seeing it Mm. and different aspects of beauty are reflected every time you turn it and look at it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And so you think about salvation of, there are these images in the New Testament of God, uh, of God healing us, of God cleansing us, of God making us whole, and those are all beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there is something powerful about not only being made clean, being made whole, but being made His, mm-hmm. being made one of His children, being brought and seated at His table. I mean, I think the parable of the prodigal son is so powerful for us mm-hmm. for a reason. I mean, just that that image of a father welcoming uh, a son who was far off home. It's yeah. really, really powerful. That's good. You talked a little bit about this, um, yeah. about what's unique about adoption, but just, I mean, it's, we can't overstate it. So just let's keep going on it. Why yeah. is this central? Why is it so important that it's included in the confession? Any it, other kind of images? I'm very there? thankful they included it. And like we said, unlike justification, there were not a lot of errors or heresies that they were seeking to refute or clarify. And so it's unique as you look over other confessions that there would be a section on adoption. It's, um, it's short because of the lack of errors or heresies they were trying to refute, but it's central. I think uh, when I hear guys like uh, Sinclair Ferguson and J.I. Packer speak of its centrality with very, very weighty statements, it really does register with me. I, I think they're right. Uh, two books, again, if you want to read on adoption, um, Knowing God, Chapter 19, what a great chapter, but also Sinclair Ferguson's book, Children of the Living God. Mm. 
is well worth a read or a group study. I would, I would commend it for a small group study. It is so good. But in Children of the Living God, Sinclair Ferguson says, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation, the goal of redemption. And then Packer in that chapter further says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well. Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. That justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance of the future is the primary and fundamental blessing is not in question. But adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God it involves. Hmm. So the centrality of adoption as well as its uniqueness, I'm so thankful that the confession has it. Hmm. And they're, yeah, they're of course following. I mean, it's a central theme in the scriptures. So, yeah. what are some? I mean, if people were saying, okay, here J.I. Packer, here Sinclair Ferguson, but yeah. where where are some passages in the scriptures that highlight the privileges of adoption? Yeah, there's uh, the privileges are highlighted, and we'll kind of enumerate some of the privileges and hit some of the passages connected to those privileges. But obviously, in Romans eight fifteen, we read. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, adoption. Um, The concept of adoption is not introduced in Romans up until that point, but the contrast in verse 15 is Paul is basically saying that up until this point, there's been two ways to live. One is as a slave full of fear, and now as a child of God full of faith working through love. And when you begin to really look at the passages of scripture, we already talked about John one. He gave the right to become children of God, but then you, you also see, so let me just highlight some privileges, Mm. assurance. Mm -hmm. The confession says graciously guarantees to make partakers of adoption, that guarantee. And you think about first John three, one, when John exclaims, behold, what manner of love the father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. And he later says, and that is what we are. Mm. The assurance of that changes everything. Mm. And um, again, Packer, I'm going to rely on him a lot today, Mm. but um, he says, social experts drum into us these days that the family unit needs to be stable and secure and that any unsteadiness in the parent-child relationship takes its toll and strain, neurosis and arrested development in the child himself. The depressions, randomness and immaturities that mark children of broken homes are known to us all. But in God's family, you have absolute stability and security. And it's from that security, that stability, that assurance that you read in the front half of Ephesians, in the front half of Colossians, Mm. and that then the exhortations come, Mm. that it's out of that assurance of our adoption and our standing as children that we begin to shape and change. And then you, another privilege is fellowship and connection. Uh, By this act, they're taken into the number of God's children. Mm. Hebrews 13, 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Uh, just the concept that our family's just way bigger than we think. Mm. And um, 
by the time this is released, I'll be in Central Asia and um, traveling through four countries. And what's remarkable is we will we will bump into family and immediately have a common language, hmm. even though it won't be uh, English. It'll be a common language of the scripture, a common language of our father and his love for us. And uh, that is, you know, as Ferguson says, only when we realize that the church is a family, that we're brothers and sisters in that family, will we have a right perspective for each other, whether when we fail badly or when we have to speak uh, to one another hard words that we're committed to one another. And the scripture calls us to think of each other as brothers and sisters. And that's rooted in adoption, right? sonship. Uh, scripture refers to Jesus as our elder brother. Mm. Um, and so you, you've got more privileges such as prayer and intimacy, uh, freedom and confidence. Prayer and intimacy, the confession says they have access to the throne of grace with boldness. They're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. And um, we hear that in Romans that we can cry, uh, in Galatians that we can cry, Abba, Father. Um, I think about it. Christmas movies, not too mm-hmm. far back. You remember when George Bailey and it's a wonderful life kind of barges in a meeting that his dad's in. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know what? He has the right to go in there mm-hmm. or an elf mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when he runs yeah, into end, that yeah. meeting at the end. And it's like, <laughs> he has a right to be there. Mm-hmm. Nobody else could pull that off. Right. Um, that prayer and intimacy that God would say, you have a right to be there. Yeah. And um, I love the, you know, a child does not always address his father. His father uses terms such as Papa or Daddy. Mm. And um, that word Abba, you know, con- connotes a word list by little children. And so there's a there's a relational piece to that that's tender and has access. And, um, you know, the I love how the confession talks about that we enjoy the liberties and privileges of that relationship. Mm. And even liberty. Mm. Like one of the privileges of being a child is you're free. Mm. Uh, He's adopted you and he's not going to get rid of you. Mm. And he's going to give you all that it means to be in this family. And that's a, that's a rich privilege. And then just, you can keep going with compassionate care. The confession says like a father, God has compassion on, protects, provides for, chastens them, yet they'll never be cast off. So you hear things like whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress in Proverbs 14. You hear of God's provision in Matthew 6. If God clothes the grass of the field alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? And it says your heavenly father knows you need them all. Mm correction of hebrews 12 6 the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son Mm. whom he receives so you certainly keep bumping into this sonship adoption child Mm. father language and the benefits are incredible inheritance um the single heir by nature is christ Mm. And the inheritance is given by God the Father to his Son, and everything Christ then possesses is given to us. He's made us heirs. You Mm. read that in Galatians. That's stunning Mm. that I'm going to receive what Christ by nature Mm. has. So I know that's a lot. Yeah. 
the privilege, but that's part of being a child. That's it. Yeah. Um, and the, the scriptures just keep talking about it over and over. You and I were preaching, uh, this past week on, in Luke mm-hmm. on the, um, the rich young ruler coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that whole idea of what must I do to inherit of yeah. like, well, you gotta, if you want to inherit, you gotta be born into the family or you gotta be adopted into it. It's not like a, there's not a whole lot for you to do. There's something for somebody else to do, which is to either bring you into this world or to bring, bring you into their family mm-hmm. after the fact. And, uh, so it's, it is a beautiful reality that we get to receive uh, all these benefits. Yeah. There's just, um, the, the inheritance piece, I think, um, just that we shall be made like our elder brother at every point, hmm. um, co-heirs with Christ sharing in his glory. I don't know that that's going to really connect with us to the level it probably should until we get there. Hmm. <laughs> but given my record and given my sinful heart, then to understand the inheritance we've been given as children, it knocks your socks off. It does, yeah. And it is one of those things like you've brought nothing and you've been given everything mm. and you can't lose any of it. That's the liberties and the privileges. Mm. Yeah. So as, as we finish up with chapter 12, as you think about it, how do these privileges shape our behavior? Because obviously these truths are mm. not just things to be savored, but things to be, I mean, they, they change us, they mm-hmm. to be applied in our lives. So what does that look like? Well, I, I go back to sonship. A lot of people may have done the sonship discipleship curriculum. I did a form of it that came out of the same organization, Gospel-Centered Life. Mm-hmm. And I remember in there, there was a, a chart about that would compare what it would look like to live like a slave mm. and what it would look like to live like a child. Mm. And so I think the three main ways it shapes our behavior is, one, you get a new motivation. Mm. You're now motivated as a child, not a slave. And so a slave lives in fear. Mm. When's the relationship up? Mm-hmm. When's the relationship going to change? Um, the child lives out of faith, working itself out through love. Um, the slave lives out of compulsive obedience. I better obey or else. Mm. The child obeys out of joy in the father. Um how can I live with ingratitude to this one who'll never reject me and gave me everything? Trying to think about your life when it comes to that motivation is, am I living with a child mindset or a slave mindset mm. is really significant. So a new motivation, but I think increasing family resemblance is another thing. The privilege of adoption begins to shape us and that we start looking like dad. Mm. And, um, you know, I think about a lot of people that maybe bump into, a son and say, Hey man, you look a lot like your dad. Yeah. And, um, you think, well, how, <laughs> how's that going to go with adoption? Mm-hmm. If, if, if I've been adopted, uh, in there, or how am I going to look like my dad like that? And the issue is the uniqueness of, of this doctrine is that it is adoption, but he's actually put his seed in us. Mm-hmm. We've been born again. And so, mm-hmm you actually can and will start to resemble the father. Hmm. And I think one of the ways this privilege shapes our behavior is people should increasingly, not perfectly, this is getting to sanctification. Mm -hmm. They should say, you know what? You look like your dad. Mm -hmm. And I can think of no better thing 
for anybody to say to me, mm-hmm. then you look like your heavenly father. Mm. And so that should shape us to want to look like him. And then just accepting his discipline too. Um, I love what Packer writes. He says, in this world, royal children have to undergo extra training and discipline, which other children escape mm. in order to fit them for their high destiny. It's the same with the children of the king of kings. Mm. If you're into the royal family at all, you mm-hmm. know, like they have like a different standard. Yes. Because they're in the royal family. Well, we do too. Yeah. And so he's going to discipline us. And and so you're going to live... You're going to live according to what it means mm. to be a child of the King of Kings, and that's going to be discipline and chastisement, but without fear of being let go. Yeah. Really so uh, new motivation, family resemblance, accepting discipline, I think it shapes us in some of those ways. Yeah, and there's the inevitable horizontal aspect of this as well. You mentioned the brothers and sisters piece. I mean, it's amazing how many times in the New Testament the authors are calling us brothers and sisters. Like mm-hmm. it becomes this kind of predominant metaphor for mm-hmm. how we're in relationship with one another. And I think it changes the way you do life in the church. When you yes. start to look and go, not only are the benefits of adoption mine, they're also these people's like mm-hmm. they've been adopted into the family. And so the same way that you and I look at our kids and are like, Hey, don't, you don't talk to your sister like that. You know, that's not how we talk to each other as a family. God is looking mm-hmm. at us and look, as we talk, as we relate to our siblings in Christ, it's like, Hey, we don't, that's not how we talk in this mm-hmm. family. That's not how we relate. This is how we love one another. Um, and, they, you, and you even get to what Galatians says, there's no male or female. Right. Because guess what? In the culture that day, even even if adopted, females mm. would not inherit. Mm. But in God's family, mm-hmm. male and female, mm. Jew and Gentile, mm. slave and free, have the full inheritance mm. of being children of God, and they get what the elder, our elder brother has by nature, that inheritance, he has the right to it. Mm. And he, in his grace, has said, family, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, your heirs, mm. your children of the Heavenly Father, which is, is beautiful and wonderful. Mm. Well, even as we talked about, it's, I think, a good place to land because what we're going to talk about next time is what does it look like for us to to be changed in mm-hmm. the doctrine of sanctification, the other benefit uh, of salvation. One of the things that flows out of adoption is this sense of, okay, I'm in a new family. Like things yeah. have to change. So yeah. um, it's a good place for us to, to pause until next time. So thank you, Brian. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us for this episode of Pillar and Ground. We hope you will join us again for future episodes.